Life is full of personal wins. Whether it's cleaning your house, getting that dream car, or checking off your to-do list, winning at life is a great feeling. And with the State Farm Personal Price Plan, you can keep winning when you create an affordable price just for you by bundling home and auto. So give yourself a round of applause. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with a personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash Wondery and use code Wondery for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash Wondery. Code Wondery. Welcome to the ID10T podcast number 1002. Um, if you're going to be in Nashville... May 30, 31, June 1, I'll be at Zany's, and then the following weekend at uh, Wise Guys, there's no other way to say that, uh, Wise Guys in Salt Lake City, there's no other way to say that like that, Salt Lake City, uh, June 6, uh, no, I'm sorry, June 7 and 8, June 7 and 8, um, ticket links are at ID10T.com, along with some other fun stuff, but um, let's talk about you in the ID10T community corkboard events at ID10T.com. Lane writes, my name is Lane Pollock, and I've recently just published my first children's book. Children's literature was always something that resonated with me growing up. Uh, I love the concept and life lessons that those stories are able to express on a child's level. Even now, at the age of 31, I look back at the ethics and morals that I learned from those fables and try to see how they might apply to my life today. I've been passionate about interacting with children all my life, which also explains why I love being a dad so much. Stories always seem to be the right way that I could connect with people no matter the age. Backworld is my first book and offers just that, a way to connect with children and their parents. I always wanted to write something that lingered with the child, but would also split up the monotony of bedtime stories for mom and dad. Beautifully illustrated by my friend Heather Rose Legiclick, Backworld is a way to escape the mundane routine of everyday life while developing language skills and self-expression for the next generation. Find it on Amazon. I hope I didn't butcher everyone's names in there. If I do, I apologize. Uh, JJ writes, on Friday, May 24th, I'm kicking off a campaign for St. Jude's Children's Cancer Research Hospital by doing a 24-hour stream on both Twitch and Mixer in support of GuardianCon, a yearly convention for the fans of the game Destiny. The campaign will run until June 30th, with me doing some additional streams on the Saturdays or possibly Sunday for the remaining time left in the campaign. My campaign is um, tinyurl.com slash McLeod, and that's just MC. Uh, not M-A-C, J.J. McLeod. Um, the Twitch is twitch.tv slash J.J. McLeod. Mixer, mixer.com slash J.J. underscore McLeod. Another damn J.J. McLeod getting the Mixer account first. Ah. I stream a variety of games, and some of the games on my list for the 24-hour stream are games like Spyro, Overwatch, Rainbow Six, Magic the Gathering, Arena, Destiny 2, and possibly others. Well done. Oh, St. Jude's. I, I absolutely love St. Jude's. I'm a Memphis boy. It's a Memphis, you know, it's it, it's based in Memphis. Um, and they've done so much amazing, amazing uh, stuff for, for children. Thank you for supporting a good cause. And thank you for utilizing a thing that you love to help other people. 
This episode is Colin Hanks who returns to the podcast after, oh my god, almost 10 years, I think. I think it is almost 10 years. He was on the first year? Yeah, I think he was on the first year. I'm sure he was. Uh, I could probably look that up. <laughs> I'm not gonna, though. Um, Colin is has started, uh, well, first of all, if you've his Tower documentary, uh, which we talk about a little bit, which has roots in the first time he was on the podcast. You should go back and listen. Um, but it's amazing what can happen in eight or nine years. But uh, he's made a new thing called Hankskerchiefs, and they are amazing. They're basically these uh, really cool handkerchiefs that he is designing and putting out. And it's just a fun passion project. They're at hankskerchiefs.com, and I'm telling you, they're fucking cool as shit. So you should go on and look at them and then get some. But uh, I love this kid, this Colin Hanks. He's so huggable. He's such a good guy. Now he's a good dad. I just love him. So here we go. Colin Hanks, episode 1002 of the ID10T podcast, which is ready to roll. Initiating ID10T protocol. First of all, I just want to, because I think we're pretty much just starting here. I just need to let people know this this handkerchief, what this is that you've brought me, is very meaningful because it is uh, it's a turntable that you made for Record Store Day in celebration of Tower Records, which is the uh, documentary that you did after you came on the podcast uh, almost 10 years ago. Oh, oh no. <laughs> that is... Oh, hold on. I'm definitely going to need some coffee where, now. Where does the time... Where does the time go? I don't know. But yeah, so, yeah, so we did a special uh, hand-drawn design of a turntable and... Um, you know, I, uh, in the 10 years since I uh, was making the Tower Doc, I got to know a lot of people, you know, in that industry, mm-hmm. you know, in that business. Um, or, you know, you could say what's left of it. Right. I, it's still, a you know, a very successful uh, business in, in some ways. Um, and uh, luckily I was introduced to some people who actually run Record Store Day, which is something I'm – a super fan of and yep. I go and line up and do all that sort of stuff and try and get the, you know, limited edition, you know, versions of Mastodon playing Stairway to Heaven. You know what I mean? <laughs> um, and uh, and so, you know, a friend of mine, uh, Billy, he he introduced me to uh, to the people there and they were like, yeah, we'd love to do something. And it's all from the goodwill of, you know, that sort of like tower spirit of just right. like, I like you. Uh, I like what you're doing. Let's try and find something we can do together. 
And so I said, well, you guys don't have an official kerchief, do you? And they said, we, we most definitely do not. Got like I said, 10 of them. I'm your guy. So, uh, so we did that, and hopefully we'll be doing a, we'll be doing a different kerchief every year uh, for a few years to come. Does collecting mean anything anymore, like being a record collector or a, an you, autograph collector you, or anything? Do you see where we're recording this podcast? I think collecting means something. <laughs> okay, so collecting does I know it's not fair to the people listening at home, but I am sitting in a relic of – I mean, there's just so much cool stuff around here. Yeah. Yes, but I mean, so to hear, you know, to hear you say, like, what struck me is when you say, like, oh, you know, go stand in line for this, like, Macedon. Yeah. It's now you can summon anything with our pocket wand. Yes, our the phone. phone. So yeah. the, it's like hunting stuff down isn't, I mean, you can still do it, but yeah. you don't have to. Like, it, it's like if you... Whatever sort of rare thing you want, you can just punch up and go, oh, look, it's on eBay. And then yeah. you have it. And then there was no. Yeah. I mean, I definitely love the convenience of just everything being just a few thumb clicks away. Yeah. You know, I, I can't deny that at all. And, you know, ironically, it took me doing a, a documentary about a record store to really start like streaming music <laughs> and like really embracing all of that. But, you know, one of the things that a friend of mine told me is like, you know, there are some people that are incredibly passionate about music. And then there's some people where music is just the thing that is playing at the bank. Right. Assuming they're still going into the sure, bank and sure, doing sure. all that right. stuff instead of just doing and the ATM or, at, phone or whatever. Or from the phone. Yeah, or yeah, yeah, yeah. But I feel like a collector culture will always exist in some way, shape or form, but it won't necessarily be the norm. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? And I feel like it's like that in a bunch of different ways. You know, I mean, when you talk with people now, um, you know, sort of younger kids now, and I can't believe that I'm actually saying that. <laughs> not You're a, a in dad. An ironic way. I am. Yeah, I'm a 41 year old man. I'm a dad. Um, but, you know, there, there are now, you know, people that feel that they have to stream friends in order, you know, like right. th they look at what was, the, you know, just something that existed. They look at it differently just because of their, the focal, the, the, the focals that they're right. wearing. And so there are some people that will sit there and, you know, watch episodes of The Office and they'll marvel at the performances and they'll marvel at the writing. But there are some people that will put on the office and then go do chores. They right. just want to hear something in the background. So there's just different ways to be able to consume all of this stuff now. And because it's so easy, I feel that a lot of it seems very sort of ephemeral and you can just sort of like throw it away and does it really matter? But there will always be a group. And I don't know how big that group is or how minute that group is, but there will always be a group of people that are obsessive about this stuff. Of course there will be. And that will always be the the ones that are going out and trying to collect all those things. And if you are able to because uh, we, we actually talk about this with the kerchiefs all the time because we we try to create this feeling of this will only exist for a certain amount of time and therefore you want to have this. Right. There are only 200 of these. Right. We're not going to make any more of these. This is all you get. Right. So get it while you can. You know, that's like me essentially just trying to steal something from the old punk playbook of like, no, but it's, but there's it's only five, you know, five pressings of this one. But record. that makes it special because, you know, when we can just go on Amazon and get anything. Yeah. Like curating and taking care to make something unique or special or, uh, you know, when I first started doing the podcast, we would 
we would make shirts and only release a limited number of different color combinations every, mm-hmm. you know, handful of months. Yeah. It just felt like, oh, if you don't get them, then you didn't get it. Because I know that it's fu- it's fun for people to say, like, oh, that's the first one or that's the second one. Or Absolutely. I have this one. And it just – it creates more of a fun um, – I don't know. It just makes it special, and it, it gives it, it gives it a little more story because we just take everything for granted now. And I think all media, like what you said, you know, you have the office on in the background, or we'll put stuff on TV to fall asleep to. Yeah. It's it's making me think that media as a whole might be the evil robot that's going to destroy us because it <laughs> it like we have there's so much that our brains can't process that there's constantly noise in our heads so what yeah. do we do to distract the noise we put on more media yeah. to distract our noise whether it's social media or media media or news media yeah. and then that puts in more garbage in our heads that we have to process yeah. and then we distract more i mean it is a, it is sort of the classic um, road to addictive behavior. Oh, but it's absolutely. a self-fulfilling. It's a yeah. self-fulfilling prophecy. Oh man, I mean, I, I actually. It's so funny that you say that because uh, recently, my wife and I and, and the kids, we went away. We went out of the country for uh, for a week, and it was so refreshing for us not to be just in the news cycle and the Twitter, you know, cycle yeah. and just the daily grind that yeah. we're always in. And just to unplug for those seven days, we came back and we're just like, you know, I really think this is really unhealthy for us. <laughs> all yeah, when of you this, break away from it. All of this stuff that we're doing that is part of our routine, you know, is we say is part of our routine, which really just means, oh, no, we've made that our routine. And what are routines really? Oh, well, routines are really crutches for addictions and other things. Do you know what I mean? That's like, right. It's a habitual thing that you do. You have this way of you want to do this in a certain manner and you got to do this in a certain time. And so by the time I got to drop the kids off, then I'm going to listen to the daily podcast and then I'm going to switch <laughs> over to up first. And then I'm going to listen to some of Brian Williams from, uh, from last night. You know, like there's all of these different sort of like just modes of, of, of like operating. And a lot of times you get wrapped up in the fact of you think, Oh, well in order to calm my mind, how about I just put more on it? And I say this, of course, the irony is that I'm, we're making a podcast. Exactly. So God, just sit back in bliss. (laughs) Ignorance is bliss. We have like our brains, our brains have like, we have a limited amount of Ram Mm -hmm. in our brains. You know, it's like, we we have these old 386 computers that are trying to run, you yeah. know, uh, trying to stream. It's just like it's just more than what I think what we're capable of doing. And I think, you know, when you're consuming all day, even if you're not getting upset at what you're seeing all day, it's still taking up operating power that your brain has. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And it has to go somewhere. It has to do something. So you either have to figure out how to express it or you just keep distracting and you just keep, you know, shoving it all in the closet and slamming the door closed to keep to hold it in. Well, I mean, and this then brings us always to this greater conversation I have, especially with a lot of my friends is like, okay, so what what are you doing to keep your mind off of that stuff? What are you doing that's creative, that's trying to push you a little bit forward so that you're not obsessing about all of these things Mm -hmm. and what are you doing that's creative that's trying to get you out of those maybe negative things that you shouldn't be doing (laughs) right um and so for me i've always been trying to find different ways to be able to do it because my primary job of wearing makeup and pretending to be other people for a living (laughs) part of that Part of that job is sitting around and waiting. You mm-hmm. know, I mean, I finished the fourth season of Life in Pieces months ago uh, in January, 
and the show just premiered like last week. Right. And I haven't been allowed to go and find any other work because I'm still trying to find out if I still have a job or not, if I need to. Right. And so I have this time to sit around and – I need some something else to do. <laughs> and that's how the Tower Doc came about. That's how uh, No Sami Doc came about. And that's how the Kerchiefs came about because I just needed to have something that felt more proactive than learning about what's going on in the world and crying about well, it. Well, that's, that's the smart thing to do, though. It's the creative expression. And I, I've been trying to get into this habit lately of, you know, every time I have a negative thought or a stressful thought, I mean, like, not... Like an unreasonable, like catastrophizing, you know, oh, the world's going to shit or, you know, what's happening? What am I doing? It's like that's that's all creative energy because you're inventing different scenarios to try to deal with. Yeah. And so or prepare yourself for. And so maybe I thought, oh, well, that is creative energy. So what if I was I just tried to make something constructive or creative with that energy because that's what that is trying to do. Yeah. So I'm glad to see that you've <laughs> you've done that with the kerchiefs that I've been <laughs> like when you started when you started putting them out because um, yeah. obviously I follow you on Instagram so I st- I've been following the story of the kerchiefs and they uh, and they're great and it's just a great cool thing to do because who no one else is re- I mean there, I'm sure there are other people who are making kerchiefs but yeah. they call them bandanas but you know. <laughs> We won't hold that against them. <laughs> but it's 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 just a great, you know, and for a for a job where you don't actually ha- make a physical thing. I mean, obviously you can yeah. see evidence of your thing, but you can't really hold it in your hands. You are making a thing that like I'm holding the thing in my hands that you made. It actually exists it in exists, the world. It exists. It's real and, you know, in as much as, you know, we're not in a simulation. Yeah. And uh and it's 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 such I think this is what humans were meant to do is to create a little bit. Yeah. I mean, I've always been a big, big like proponent of that. Like, you know, what are you doing? What are you working on? What, what's the creative thing that you're doing? What are the thing? What is the thing that you are making? Mm -hmm. And it can be anything. (laughs) I mean, it, it literally can be anything. You know, you could be making a living for your family, providing for your family. You could be making money in order to buy a house. You could be making small kerchiefs or small textiles or small little uh, hand-knit things that you sell on Etsy or Mm -hmm. whatever. All of those things, I think, are all valid and all good uh, uses of time and, you know, artistic expression. You know, this is all very sort of lofty stuff that I'm sort of saying. But for me, I always look at it as, oh, this is this is how we stay sane. (laughs) This is how we stay sane. Otherwise, otherwise, we end up just sitting around going... Man, I have all these ideas, but no one will let me do them. You know, like all of these like excuses for doing stuff. And now uh, let me put a gigantic red flag with all this stuff. I complain about shit all the time, all the time, nonstop, uh, to the point where my wife, my wife was like, you told me when we started dating that you were like an optimist. That is not really what you are. I'm like, no, I, I am. It's just you don't understand. Yeah, exactly. all this other stuff. But so for me, like to be able to like make those documentaries that I did, that was a way for me to have more ownership 
over what I invest my time in. Because as an actor, I'm a hired hand. I go and I say someone else's words and someone else lines up the shot and someone else lights the shot. And I just sort of do it. And someone else edits what and takes And someone edits it together. And, you know, and when I say it's my character, a writer goes, <clears throat> really? <laughs> Is it? And that's fair. I think that's fair. And there's a collaboration in that. And, and, and you know, I, I do enjoy that. With the directing, it, there was a different sort of ownership over it because I had spent so much time and energy, you know, putting those docs together and and believing in those stories when a lot of other people didn't, mm-hmm. and then being able to show it in a way that I think uh, affected some people at least, and yeah. you know, and people have been very very kind about you know both of those. With the kerchiefs, it, it's even more of a challenge because a it's an entire new industry that i really had no knowledge of prior mm-hmm. um and it, but yet it's something that i really believe in even though most people at first sort of scratch their heads about it and they go what why do you want to handkerchief like what <laughs> what you mean bandanas um fucking kerchief yeah and so i've had a really fun time being able to try and find that weird middle ground in the sandbox between the sort of the kerchief stuff and and story and sort of find ways to be able to like cross pollinate a little bit Mm -hmm. you know what i mean so coming up with the idea of you know uh you know obviously calling them hank's kerchiefs i can't resist a pun no um but this idea of like the history of the kerchief versus the bandana the idea of being able to create a batch of them that are small and collectible um, so that you don't have, you know, you don't have a problem. You have a collection. It's different. <laughs> um, you know, all of those different a problem, ways. A problem, things are piled up like a hoarder. <laughs> a collection, they're sorted. They're just neatly sorted and it's, organized. It's not, yes. it, yeah, it, the, the definition of what you are is really in how you deal with the stuff once you get it. Exactly. If it's piled everywhere, <laughs> you have a problem. If it's, if it's meticulously yeah. organized. Now, don't look, like in, don't look in my car because it's just kerchiefs piled as far as you can see. That it's, would look like a problem. <laughs> that would look like a problem. No, it's a collection, Chris. But there is, <laughs> there is I, I think for anyone who, who's listening, the, the idea of taking ownership over your creativity is a great way to look at it because, you know, I think everyone, I think, kind of feel, I mean, like we're expressive beings. Like mm-hmm. we are naturally inclined to be artistically expressive. Even if you don't feel, if someone doesn't feel like they're artistic, you, everyone has to express the way, the way, like, you know, to express what comes at them yeah. like, into the world. Yeah. And so it's, what, what, you know, what are you, what are you doing with that? And are you just waiting for life to kind of happen at you? Or are you able to, even in some small way, um, you know, take a little bit. Because when you can take ownership over your creativity, it does make you feel like you're in a little more control of your life. Absolutely. And and that's the only thing that you can be in control over. And I think like a lot of times, you know, you hear this a lot with um, with actors starting out or, or writers starting out or, or musicians starting out as well, where they, they, they take control of that, but then they also kind of are expecting to be able to control the reception of it. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Or that somehow impedes the 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 first part and it shouldn't. You right. know, this idea of, oh, well, I want to do this, but I can't because I need someone else to approve of it right. so that I can make it better or bigger and then more people can see it or more people can see me or like whatever. And I, I always like, you know, I have um, tons of uh, – <laughs> 
I've always had parents come up to me saying like, oh, my kid's an actor. Like, what would you, you know, like, what would you tell my kid? And I tell them, do the school play and only the school play until there's no more school plays to do. (laughs) And then at that point, you can go out and try and get an actor and do all that stuff. But if they don't love doing all of the school plays... You know, or at least, you know, maybe not the musicals. I never did the musicals. Right. But um, but if you just – if they enjoy that, then they enjoy doing it at any level. And I think that's the most important thing. And I think that gets lost a lot, especially when we're talking about creative endeavors because so many people have these huge, great creative ideas, but they're so big that then they automatically come with roadblocks to them or well, obstacles. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Well, that's when – I mean – there's a difference between expressing your creativity and then turning that into your like core business. Yes. And and then not to scare anyone away cuz I would say to anyone like well you just start the process and you have a plan but you're flexible to because you learn as you go along and yeah. you figure it out and if you can if you can take a couple hits and still want to do it, then you're probably it's like with stand up. Like, well, if you tried a handful of times and you bomb, but you still go, I, I really need to get on stage. You're probably doing the right thing. Yeah, totally. But if you're making, you know, like I've I've made stuff before where it's like, oh, I'm going to make a uh, a t-shirt or something, and then it's just something no one wants, and you're like, yeah. oh, it didn't occur to me that I just <laughs> thought I could put it out there. And but you learn. It's like yeah. you, you, and if you're open to that process of it. Then you're probably doing the right thing. I hope so. I mean, that with the kerchiefs, it's definitely been learning the process of it because I'm literally learning an entire new business. How it operates, everything about it is so different than what I'm accustomed to uh, in 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 a way with uh, with acting or, yeah. or movies. And so I kind of <laughs> I remember telling my wife like, I really want to do this. Um, you know, I want to put my money where my mouth is and actually do it. But, you know, you have to be prepared that, you know, everyone may be just getting kerchiefs for Christmas for like the next five Christmases. <laughs> and it's just going to be a different design. Because if none of these sell, then we've just got boxes of this shit just sitting around. And she was like, no, all right, go, you know, go for it. I mean, if you feel like it's something that, that you're passionate about and, and you feel like it could actually work, give it a shot. And when we launched in November and it was like, I mean, right out the gate, we were like having a hard time keeping up with orders. That's great because it's that part of the process is really fun. Even when stuff doesn't necessarily work, you you go, oh, okay, that was the mistake of that thing. Yeah. But let's fix it. You know, it's the learning process. Yeah. And this is like the, the kerchiefs. What's great is that it is ever evolving. So it's not like, you know, the other job where you do this scene and you do it as kind of, you know, you on in the best of circumstances, you're able to do it a bunch of different ways and you're able to take your time. And then mm-hmm. eventually you sort of go, all right, well, those are some options and the editor will find the best way to sort of put it all together. In reality, like with TV, it's like, OK, we got like three times, like, <laughs> let's go because we've got a big day. Um, but then it's done and then it's sort of finished and and. And you can't make that any better. You can only hope to find a better way to to 
to do it. Mm-hmm. That that's the refinement. It's like, all right, how, how what's the better way to do it? What's the better way to to get from A to B? But with the kerchiefs, it is so evolving and is constantly changing, and we're coming up with new ideas and new designs and different ways of looking at. Okay, well, what are we going to do in these months? What are we doing in the future? And that was actually something that always stuck in my head that Russ Solomon. The founder of Tower Records always said, it's like, okay, well, this is great, but what are we doing in the future? Like, Mm -hmm. what's the next step? Like, we're not looking back anymore. Let's constantly be looking forward. What do we do next? What's the cool new thing that's next? And the kerchief has been a really fun way to be able to sort of scratch that itch of constantly just kind of moving forward when, you know, as the makeup wearer, I'm sort of trapped in this place of like, okay, well, I still don't know when I can go and do this other stuff or if I still get to do this thing that I really love doing. So I just got to like just tread water like Magnum PI for, you know, (laughs) a stupid amount of time. That's a reference to a Tom Selleck show, by the way, not the newer Magnum PI. There was a Magnum before? I know. That's a, that's a, <clears throat> that's basically every kid now. There was a, like, oh, before? Oh, yes, because yes, everything's a, of course. Everything's a, re, everything's oh, a my redo. Goodness. But, but I just, you know, don't be afraid to go a little deep here about the process, because obviously most people don't know how kerchiefs are made, but I just want to hear for you. In this new business that you started and got into, what are some of the things that you learned, you know, even if it's specific to this business that you mm-hmm. think people won't understand? I'm just – I'm curious to hear what, what you didn't know before. Well, I think what I – the biggest sort of eye-opener to me is really sort of the the relationship the, – the amount of relationships that, that you have just creating one sort of item. I'm incredibly fortunate that all I really wanted to make – was one piece of clothing <laughs> that didn't need to be sewn to another piece of clothing. Do you know what I mean? There right. wasn't like shirts or anything like that. It's just, it's just a square piece of fabric. Mm-hmm. And going and meeting with you know the fabric house and going over all of the different uh, patterns and designs and finding out w- which cottons come from where. Um, you know, a lot of our uh, a lot of our. Uh, not our hand uh, designed kerchiefs, but of some of the other sort of stricter patterns that we have. Those are all Japanese fabrics that are hand cut here in California and sewn here in California. Um, and so the difference between some of those fabrics, um, you know, sometimes they're really rough. And I don't like rough kerchiefs, especially right. if you're sick and you got to blow your nose because then it just makes it worse. And so we uh, dip them in an enzyme wash that is basically a chemical that helps break the fabric down, mm-hmm. you know, but it's just breaking it down just the right amount. Right. All of those little things um, were are, were incredibly fascinating on, on, on the physical side as well as sort of coming up with our branding and our logo and sort of making something that was – Unique and different and stood out, but also um, could sort of disappear a little bit. You know, it wasn't so, um, you know, eye-popping that it was distracting to, mm-hmm. you know, the piece. Um, but then there's also, I mean, all sorts of other stuff in terms of, um, you know, the naming of the kerchiefs, um, the uh, design of the website, the um, what is the experience like when you open the package, you know, um, so many of the sort of bandanas or kerchiefs that I would get online, they were just sort of like thrown into a bag 
and that was sort of it. And, and you wanted and, to be special. And that was an exchange. So I wanted to be a little bit special. And I'm always trying to find ways to try and make it a little bit more special. So, you know, it comes in a little cellophane bag and it's got a little wrap around it. And we throw a card in there, you know, for, uh, for everyone. And you personally show up to everyone's house, right? Do I you do deliver, hand deliver uh, them? Yes. And I sing a song. <laughs> it's, uh, it's another. Disclaimer, Colin Hanks may not actually show up to your home. <laughs> um, and so talking about all of the, all of those little things and how much you know, stuff that you would normally take for granted in, in a lot of cases, when you realize just how much all of those things are discussed, um, it, it was sort of eye-opening to me. I always take it for granted when I'm, you know, watching a movie because I already know all of the conversations that have been had about mm-hmm. the big action sequence and all that sort of stuff. I know the amount of work that goes into that. It was really interesting to find out the amount of work that goes into seemingly, you know, smaller stuff. So much responsibility. Uh, you know, so much like responsibility. You, you, you have the idea in your head and you think about the result and you go, oh, it's going to be this great thing. And then you're like, well, it's a lot of responsibility. It's a lot of responsibility. And, you know, and the other thing is, too, you know, we're only online right now. Um, but obviously, you know, because, you know, I made a documentary about a record store. Like, I'm really cognizant of the fact that there are a lot of brick and mortar stores out there that need stuff to sell. And so we've spent a lot of time getting our a wholesale operation up and running, which was something that I heard Russ Solomon say all the time when we were doing Tower. And I think it was after two years, I went, can you really explain this to me again? Um, and, uh, you know, and look, there are some people that, there are a lot of people that take business classes and they know this stuff, but I, I you know, I didn't. I was doing, you know, school plays and screwing around. So um, to be able to try and, you know, work hard and sort of rearrange some things so we could get a wholesale operation going so that if people want to, you know, carry these in the stores, they can. And that way, you know, it doesn't cost them a whole bunch of money to carry the kerchiefs, but it doesn't cost us too much money to um, uh, produce them and then lose money. You know, like there's just so many different bells and whistles and, and levers that need to be pulled in order to make these things kind of work. And we've been very fortunate in that, you know, we launched in November. It's been incredibly successful and every run that we've had have been great and people have really responded to what it is that we're trying to do. But there's still so much more little tweaking and little things that we want to do. And so, you know, that that little Moleskine book that I carry around that I had sort of lost reasons to use, I now use it more than ever because there's always just this, oh, wait, what about, oh, there's this idea that I want to do. And it may be years down the road. But all of those things take time to get to. And um, I really want this to last a long time. I, I, this is not like some weird sort of uh, thing, you know, just to do and then I'm going to lose interest in it. Like I actually really have spent a lot of time and energy making sure that this is a company that actually works and exists. And I have this plan for total world kerchief domination. Well, that, <laughs> someone has to do that. Someone's got to do it. But it's all the cumulative things that you, the things that you know now, you couldn't have even envisioned. You didn't yeah. even have the knowledge six months ago to ask some of the questions that, yeah. you're, that you're asking now. No, no, no. And so that's why it's so important to start the process and be open. But, you know, as I'm, as I'm thinking about it and hearing you talk about Tower and this and your relationship and how that inspired you to make your own thing... Even just the idea of what you're making, it, it's when you said, you know, blow your nose in it. And I was like, oh, that's right. Because there was a time where people just didn't have disposable paper everywhere. Yeah. They had to carry a thing. Yeah. And, it, and, and, and so the idea that 
we've gone from a culture that was where everything wasn't disposable. Now, literally everything in our culture is disposable. Yeah. Even the fucking phones that yeah. we carry are disposable <laughs> in 12 months. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's like paper is disposable. Our, like everything we yeah. is disposable. Our, our, our media is disposable. Yeah. And so this actually is symbolically hearkening back to a time where things had to be cared for and yeah. special. And you cared that, you know, my stepfather, uh, when he was alive, he carried a handkerchief in his pocket. Yep. And he would do this when I was a kid. This infuriated and embarrassed me. And as I've gotten older, I'm now charmed by it. But he would uh, he would be in a restaurant or somewhere. He'd blow his nose in the handkerchief. And then he would, because he was a very organized guy. He would fold it. So he that... would refold it back. But, there would, but he had blown his nose in it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was disgusting. Yeah. But there was like a real sweetness. and I do the same thing. And, and he folded it up perfectly. <laughs> I do but the there was that moment thing. where it was open. It's like, close, get there. Yeah, there's other, what are you doing? And so, and, but, you know, like he, like he didn't just, you know, like mindlessly grab paper and throw it away like this. He took care of this. And there, he used them for a long time. There, there was this really interesting sort of thing because I ended up, when I sort of came up with the idea, I started doing it like a big sort of deep dive just in terms of like how did that sort of work? And this sort of all comes back to, you know, the same sort of thing that I did with Tower where it's like, okay, I have this idea. Now I just want to like find out like how did that evolve? And with Tower, it was basically recorded music. Like originally it was the music it industry was basically written music that then people would buy and then perform and then eventually it became recorded music and it it evolved over time into mm-hmm. you know records and tapes and CDs and MP3s and right. all that sort of stuff and so I said all right well I want to do like the dive on 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 handkerchiefs um, and you know that's always the thing is people. Like it's handkerchiefs, but people just always just go handkerchiefs, handkerchiefs. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I said, oh, that gives me an idea. Um, <laughs> and so I did this sort of like very sort of cursory sort of um, uh, sort of exploration online, and, and basically what I found is that bandanas, the name bandanas, were actually sort of large uh, swaths of, of of a cloth, mm-hmm. so almost like a shawl today. Mm-hmm. And those were um, those bandanas were basically used to sort of protect yourself from the sun. It sort of generates from sort of the Asia India part of the mm-hmm. world, where they would basically put them to cover their shoulders, sure. cover their heads. But they were large pieces of, of clothing. This is hundreds of years ago. Mm-hmm. And as civilization grew and as clothes became, you know, uh, more of an everyday occurrence and, 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 you know, suits and all that sort of stuff, as, um, as fashion became – literally as fashion became something, like became a thing, you don't have the use for that anymore. So it got smaller and smaller and smaller um, and to the point where they became kerchiefs. Now, a, a kerchief is actually what we think of as a bandana. Got it's it. Roughly like 21 by 21, maybe. That's what our sizes are. But, you know, 20 by 20, 22 by 22, whatever. Yeah. But that is technically what a, what a kerchief is. So it's a, basically was. it just became a, it was a shrunken shawl. So yes. it's like a, basically they're like a snot shawl. Yeah. So bandanas were the big things, <laughs> kerchiefs were the small things, and then bandanas just kind of became. Kerchiefs, right? Essentially, but kerchiefs then shrunk as well 
to become handkerchiefs. Oh. Now, those are the smaller things that your granddad or maybe your great-granddad, depending how old you are listening to this, those are the things that they blew their nose into <laughs> and would stick up their sleeves yeah. or they would uh, use as a pocket square to right. help like, you know, uh, 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 in your suit jacket. Yeah. Those are the things that maybe a woman would have in her purse and would wave to the Titanic. <laughs> You know what I mean? Those were those were hand kerchiefs. I love how general and then specific they got. But that is, but I mean, but th- but think about it. That is very. That is a very specific era that yes. we're talking about. We're yes. talking about kind of like the late 1800s right. to the early 1900s. Right. That's really what it is. And then eventually, hand kerchiefs kind of disappear. Like they don't. A new generation doesn't really pick up. Handkerchiefs. Well, it's also again disposable paper. Like we we could because could just, all of a sudden Kleenex exists. Yes, yes, yes. If you can blow your nose on something and throw it away, exactly and get it out of your clothing. So then at that point, then bandanas only sort of survive because it's much more of a fashion accessory more than anything else. Because then eventually you get to the fifties, the sixties, right. Do you know what I mean? And then people are wearing them in their hair, and it's and it's more sort or of like... Or to rob a bank. Or to rob a bank. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, that's... To, that, ro- yeah. to rob a saloon. To rob an old train, <laughs> um, if you will. Any of those sorts of things. And so, for me, I was really intrigued by the story of, oh, a kerchief. This idea of taking something that you've already heard about, but you don't know what the actual story behind it is. Right. And let's do something with that. And instead of just calling them Hanks or something like that, which I felt was just a little too on the nose. Right. I thought, oh, well, it would be cool if we did Hanks kerchiefs so that, you know, I mean – in in my brain, I'm thinking. Hopefully, someone's thinking like, "Oh, some dude named Hank made a bunch of kerchiefs." <laughs> um, that's probably not what most people are thinking. But um, this idea of taking something that you'd heard about and saying, "No, look, here's here's this story that you don't know, and and here's this thing that was very very personal to people that had them." You know, and not like not just so personal that they would blow their nose in it and, right. and then their snot is in it. But they they had connections to them. I remember when we had started uh, when I started work on the the company. I met this one uh, woman, and she's asking me what I did, and I said, "Ah, oh, you know, I'm an actor, but you know, I'm also starting this this company." And she saw oh, what's the company, and I told her, and, and she told me this amazing story that she had been very very close with her father, and her father had um, had recently passed away, and it was she took it incredibly hard. And when she was having to go through all of her father's stuff and sort of decide what they were going to keep and what they were mm-hmm. going to give away, she found a, uh, one of his old kerchiefs and it smelled like him. Oh my God. And so in her purse, and she showed it to me, in her purse, in a Ziploc bag, is her dad's kerchief that she doesn't use but she just keeps it because it smells like him. And what's the one thing that she can't get anymore is his his smell. Right. That sense of like that, you know, you smell something and you instantly travel back in time. That kind of personal connection to, to, to a kerchief, that is like, oh, man. I mean, I get goosebumps kind of thinking about it. But like that is the epitome of trying to find something that is – that is of import and is so important that it can't be replicated. Well, and if we're able to do anything remotely close to that, 
um, to be able to provide something that, you know, years later can, can you know, have that sort of like power. Uh, yeah. Well, the house that my wife and I live in is was built in 1928. And when we moved in, um, the uh, closets were very small. Yeah. Like very small. Oh, yeah. And you realize this was a time and, you know, especially when people carried handkerchiefs, um, most people had like a couple of things. Yeah. Not not many things. Oh yeah. No again, this goes to the idea of things being disposable and mm-hmm. you know, mass production and, and 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 so forth. But it's like you really had to take care of everything that you had and everything that you had was intimately personal yeah. because you didn't have 50 of them. Yeah. You may have only had like three outfits. Period. Three suits. Three suits yeah. or maybe some some Sunday clothes. A, one it. or two handkerchiefs, yeah. like one pair of shoes, maybe two pairs of shoes, yeah. you know? And so it the idea that we that we've sort of lost touch with that because who can even identify I mean, you know, like I'm saying this is the guy that has like 200 t-shirts. Yeah. And they all all mean something to me because they're all like uh, things that I like, but yeah. still you know, we we really have become <laughs> just prisoners of our own consumption. And mm-hmm. this idea that, you know, is really sort of in the same way that you say that people kind of watch a Friends episode or like, oh, like the mm-hmm. kids at Ale watch it the way that their yeah. parents did because yeah, it's yeah. kind of fun. But this sort of connection to our past and connection to our history when people really – really had to take care of things because you couldn't just throw them away because yeah. you either it just it was the the economy didn't support that or it's just not something people did yeah i mean i i've always been supremely fascinated by that by that kind of stuff um i remember that was actually one of the the big conversations i had with matt weiner when i was first talking with him um, before he cast me on Mad Men, is just talking about the history and 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 how history informs so much of our life that we have no idea about. This idea of even uh, 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 post-World War II, this idea of, well, Americans can do anything, so everything's going to be bigger and better. The roads are going to be bigger. The cars are going to be bigger. The refrigerators are going to be bigger. The sinks are going to be bigger. Big pompadours. All of that sort of stuff. Do you know what I mean? Whereas if you go like overseas in Europe, they don't have huge fridges. They don't have huge washing machines. They don't have huge – because that was just not what was needed at the time. And so this this concept of how history – informs fashion and how fashion informs history or uh, convenience or any of these things, there, there's a, a, a history behind all of that stuff that most people just don't, don't even think because of, don't even old, take into the older account. cultures have realized that they don't need all of that stuff. And I think yeah. we – it's so easy to think that power equals – Bigger and better and, you know, whoever's the loudest, who's, whoever has the biggest thing, whoever has this. When, in fact, I think power is restraint. Power mm-hmm. is, is, yes, I can, you know, build the biggest refrigerator. But I choose I can, not to. But I choose yeah. not to because that, oh, to totally. me, is the, the respectful path. Not yeah. like, ah, everything's got to be bigger and massive in America. Bah! Oh well, I mean, I was talking about this just the other day because um, I got these this bottle. This uh, this is a plug for something else, but it's a bit of bottle, uh, BYTA, right? Mm-hmm. And it's uh, they. I found it because they made these great coffee mugs, or not mugs, but like travel coffee canisters. I guess yeah. you want to call them. 
they're the best. They're the best ones I've ever owned. Just they feel great in my hand. And the whole point is, haven't we thrown a, enough plastic away? As, as I hide my large <laughs> smart water bottle. That's yes. Right. That's all right. That, that has electrolytes. It's, it's, it's a totally different thing. Um, but this idea of just bring in a coffee mug to a coffee place so that you don't waste that plastic. Right. That's a very simple, easy thing to do. Mm-hmm. And hell, they, sometimes they give you money off. Right. Sometimes your coffee's cheaper. So that's great. But this idea of like, for uh, the, when you said this, it just popped in my mind, this idea of like, oh, in California, they don't let you, you have straws. Right. Who fucking cares? <laughs> I don't need a straw. I don't. You know, and if, if me not having a straw somehow like maybe save something from choking and dying, that, great. Right. You know what? I, it's the smallest little sacrifice. But this idea of like, oh, you're, all your ideas and now straws are the enemy. And I'm like, no, I'm not saying straws are the enemy. But every not, little thing helps. But I'm just saying, is it that big of a fight? But no. We're, we're entitled to think like, I could get whatever I want, whatever I want. But then what are we leaving our kids you know, like yeah. if everything that you have is disposable and you get new technology every year and your clothes fall apart quickly because they're cheaply made and yeah. you don't, you know, like and you don't take care of it, you know, like what are you leaving your kids? Like yeah. what what things, what tangible things are we are we leaving our kids and are our kids going to be so consumed by the amount of stuff that they have to process in the world with all the devices and all the media and everything? That they're not even – they don't even notice. No. I mean not only that. That nothing's being left. They don't them. even notice. But, you know, I mean I mean, my whole big thing is uh, 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 that I'm always uh, talking about with my kids. I'm bored. Good. <laughs> Good. Because then maybe you go and find something to do. Maybe you go and you draw or you go play with your toys or you decide you want to, I don't know, go outside and run around or swim or something Daddy, like that. Daddy, I started a meth lab. Okay, now wait a minute. Okay, I appreciate your industry. That is, I, you have always been very good at chemistry. <laughs> I'm very, very proud at you. But I want you to watch this show that's going to show you how this is not going to end you, well for you're you. You're going to break bad. But I, but I, th- so I'm glad you brought up the kids because – the first time you did the podcast, I think... I had just had a kid. You had literally just had, had a kid. I had literally just had a kid, yeah. And now that child is probably in college because that was a <laughs> long time. <laughs> she acts like, yeah, she's eight. She's eight now. That's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. She's a person. She's a full-fledged person now. And, and so much so that she has started to do this thing recently that is, is kind of, it's incredible, but it's also sort of like, oh, okay, we're about to enter into something new here. Where she will just like do these little like personal mannerisms. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Of just sort of like a little shake of the head or like a little like, oh, really? You yeah. Did kind of look on your face. <laughs> Which you see in people all the time and you go like, oh, that's their personality. You yeah. know, they're great. But when you see someone form that mm-hmm. and you go, oh, wow, that is, that's all starting to happen now. I'm starting to see. You know, before it was maybe just sort of two wheels in tandem working together to make that machine go. But now there's starting to be a whole lot more wheels that are all going at the same time for her and, and to how she thinks about things, what makes her laugh. 
um, you know, uh, I now officially really am like my jokes really aren't funny to them. <laughs> they really are dad jokes where I go, okay, no one wants a dad bit right now. All right, I get it. Yeah, we it. see how it is. Dad, yeah, all right. They'll appreciate it someday. They will. They will. Just I still argue that period. shit's funny, but all right, that's fine. Kid, the, kid, the kids go through like a, like a dark ages with their parents. Yeah. And then there's a renaissance. But, you know, for me, I always say, look, if I can my, – my only job is, A, to make sure that they have a worry-free life for as long as they can. At some point, that's going to, you know, not be the case. Right. But my job is as long as I can keep them worry-free, that's my, that's my job. And try and have enough things that are ours to share that are special. Whether it's reading a book to her, taking her to you know a soccer game, uh, taking her to a hockey game, going to movie, like whatever, like some activities that we do together. And as long as we have those, then maybe you know when the time comes, she's putting my kerchief in a in a ziplock bag. <laughs> you're just you're just giving her a sweaty handkerchief. I'm, that's Dude. all I'm trying to do. Here, I mean, take, it, take this. It's so. What have you? Because you know, like we're probably. I don't know. We'll probably start trying to get into that business in about a year or so. Mm-hmm. So the kerchief business or are you talking about <laughs> the kerchief reproduction? <laughs> You're talking about reproduction. Gotcha. My gotcha, wife gotcha. and I are going to produce yes. kerchiefs. Yeah. A line of kerchiefs. First kerchiefs. Yeah. First. <laughs> hey, that works. That works. I just a hard kerchief it just doesn't sound good. <laughs> it doesn't sound good at all. Um, but um, when so what 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 has how have you grown from that first time you were on the podcast? You've just had a kid. You have this whole like long road oh, open man. up, and you go, oh, I don't know what. I'm so excited, but we still don't fully know what we're getting into. And now you've been into it for a while. Now it's an old hat. So what oh. what 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 can I look forward to, or what how have you grown? The amount of energy and time wasted worrying about starting something or doing something is now is no longer of interest to me. So this idea of like going like, well, I don't know, like should we go and can we I don't I mean I'm not sure like just go do whatever it is you need to do. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? This idea of like there's just something about oh that kid is crying. Well, I don't know, should I go in because I don't know, maybe it's going to interrupt. Just go in, <laughs> fix the problem, whatever it is, get it done and don't waste a fraction of energy you know than than you need to now that may sound like a little bit harsh but this idea of you know well i'm not sure like with my career just go just do it just give it a shot well i'm not sure if this person is the one give it a shot right who knows like this idea of things needing to be perfectly timed and all of that sort of stuff Kids do not care about any of that shit. And that and they really sort of highlight this idea of if you sit around waiting for the perfect opportunity to do X, Y, or Z, the alphabet's already over. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like it's already done. Like it's it's the, the the it's already left. And that was something that I, you know, I had heard about a million times. I you know, people I admire would talk about this concept, this idea of, you know, Oh, well, once this happens, my life will really begin. But then you look back and your life actually <laughs> began at the beginning. Right. Um, you know, this idea of just just go, just do it. Don't 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 hesitate. Just go. 
and who knows what will happen. And it might not be perfect. It may, it may not work well. But, you know, maybe that makeshift diaper gets you to the house, you know, so that where the real diapers are. Do you know right. what I mean? That's also a kerchief plug. Is that something that's happening? That's also a kerchief plug, by the way. You know, the kerchief <laughs> – um, no, the no, kerchief, no. The kerchiefs are a great apocalypse <laughs> tool because of all the different things you could all do. All the different you could, things. that you could, It could be a tourniquet if you well, get bitten by something. We, so I actually did a fake commercial for them with Steve Agee all about – you know Steve Agee and uh, Liam Lynch? Do you know Liam I Lynch? Know, I know Steve so well and I know Liam – Really well. So those guys are two of my favorite people on earth. Liam for, is a for very different reasons. Steve Agee is guys. one of the funniest, just like one of the funniest entities yes. in the universe. Yes. And Liam Lynch is also brilliantly funny, but Liam is the fucking Mozart. He's of, a savant. He makes, he'll just send you a song that's like a full orchestra. You're like, he was like, oh, I made this thing over the weekend. And then I animated it using this, like, what the fuck? Who does He's this? How did you have time to do this? And so I did a fake commercial that Liam, uh, 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 Liam and I wrote, and AG like models all of the different ways to, to <laughs> do a kerchief. And they start off real, and eventually they end up like literal banana hammocks and things like that, like a, a hammock for a banana. Fantastic. But anyways, uh, it's a big, long side trick. But like, basically, kids just... They throw so many things at you and you don't have time to go, oh, no, you just go in and and you just have to do it. It's like an improv game. Kids are like an improv game. Yes. And where the stakes are real. Yeah. Where the stakes are real, where you just go like, (laughs) all right, well, this is this is where we're at. And there's there's nothing you can do about it. So you just you just get it done. You know, was it important for you to have something that was not I mean, to undertake a project that was different than say like well I'm going to write a like a movie or I'm going to go direct another thing to do something that was outside of the entertainment business did that make you feel a little more grounded in the world as it's po- the dumbest thing tr- truly to be honest because it's it doesn't help the day <laughs> job at all but that's what's kind of cool about it though because it gets you out of that yeah no oh no absolutely i mean i it, i don't look at it as the way that this is like oh this would be a good grounding way it's just this this itch that i have to scratch and i find a way to do it and it may not benefit anything it may it, you know maybe it will but like it's just the thing that i just can't get out of my head and i've got time to kill and i want to do it do you know what i mean and so with the docs, it was, all right, well, I can't sit and write anything right now. I don't have that sort of creative thing going. But I could go do this and sort of find a way to be able to tell this story. So I'll do that. And, you know, at least it w- you know the docs were still sort of in the relative sort of family of, of acting and movies and storytelling and all that sort of stuff. So I did that. It doesn't necessarily really help the acting career, but it's made me a better actor. So with Kerchiefs, it was sort of like, okay, well... I'll try this and 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 we'll see what I sort of learn from it. And I'm still, you know, I'm learning so much about it that it's 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 the the lessons I'm learning is really just more about okay, when you have an idea, you have a concept, you select a team and you got to trust that team and you can't micromanage that team and you got to believe everybody, but if they're people and 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 personalities that maybe don't clash, you have to sort of navigate that a little bit more. So in some ways that's helping sort of directing and developing and and writing with other stuff because you have to take into account other people's feelings and how they're going to 
respond to a certain idea or how they're going to respond to um, uh, criticism or, or, or any of those sorts of things. So all of it is sort of really, I, I think more than anything, all of these things that I've sort of done if there's one sort of common thread, it's all hopefully made me a better collaborator for whatever the next thing right. may be. And I sort of feel like that is the reason why I keep doing all of this stuff because as long as I've been doing, you know, working and, you know, as an actor and all that sort of stuff, I've never really truly felt that there was like a gang that I came up with. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? There, you know, there are people that I came up with and that are still in my life to a degree and you get older and, you know, you sort of you go separate ways. But there's never been that group that has been constant throughout everything for, for, for me in regards to other actors or other directors or anything like that. I've always sort of been this butterfly that just sort of like goes everywhere and does different things. And I think part of that is because I'm more interested in okay, well, let's find someone else to bring in and see what they add to this sort of, you know, thing that we're trying to make. And let's, um, I don't know this much about this one particular aspect of this work. So let's bring someone else in and see what, what knowledge they have and how we can sort of make this stuff work. I think that is this stuff that is actually much more appealing to me is working with new people and trying to find new ways of doing stuff. I love that too. I, I hate – I don't enjoy working alone. Yeah. Because, oh, I can't stand it. Because you – number one, it's great to be accountable to someone mm -hmm. else because it just puts you on a schedule. Yeah. But also you – you know, everyone has different chemistry and so you make – the unique thing that you make with another person or a group of people is different than what you would make with another person or a different group of people because you're both kind of infusing your own flavors to it and that – I love that part of the – Pro the process like I'm yeah. not someone who just likes to go I'm just gonna go sit and write alone in my house leave me alone I'm writing yeah. like, I fucking hate I just I love being able to hang out and talk and converse and riff and fuck around and kick around ideas because yeah. it's I love the process of it so much and I don't even care you know who has whoever has the best idea oh we'll use mine we'll use yeah. yours we'll use this like just the idea that it's like we're just working together to make the best thing possible, and everyone brings their own set yeah. of tools. To Every, the yeah, table. and 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 the 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 sort of additional thing that I always add to that is, as long as there's a uh, uh, an accepted understanding as to what the thing is that it, that you're trying to make. Do you know what I mean? Like, I do believe that there is, there it, it is good to have an understanding of. All right, so we are all getting together to do this particular thing, mm -hmm. and there's a very specific way that we need to get to that specific mm -hmm. thing. We can talk about all of the other ways, and that's good, but ultimately, this is how we've got to get to this thing. You know, there's got to be an agreement as to what that's going to be. Right. And a lot of times I find when things start to become a drain is when someone's like, no, fuck that. It, <laughs> and, and, and that adds a little bit of, you know, there does need to be someone sort of shepherding the thing saying, this is how we need to get here. Right. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? And as long as everyone is under that same sort of um, understanding, or if someone comes with a, a better way of doing it, that that sort of person says, oh, yeah, I agree. That is a better way of doing it. Do you know yes, what? But you always have to be open. You have to, you be, have to be open to it. Yeah, you have, you have to, to be, be open. Flexible you have to be flexible because we, yeah. never, we never know everything. 
yeah. ever. It's impossible. No. We no. never know everything. And then the, the the minute we close ourselves off and go, no, I'm an expert, or I know I'm this, then we're not. Then we're sort of like withering yeah. because we're not open to new ideas. We're not open to you know germinating new <laughs> new spores of things and. But it's so easy because the older you get, the less energy you have for shit. Yeah. And so it's easy to go, no, I'm not going to let that in because I just yeah. don't want to fucking deal with it. Oh, you totally. know. But then, that's, but then that's where we really start to do ourselves a disservice. Yeah. Because the best stuff happens when we are open and flexible and, wa- and want to learn and want to grow. Yeah. But, you know, I mean, I'm like, I'm like you. I, I can't do a lot of stuff by myself. I, I just don't have the chemistry to be able to sit and focus for that long to be able to do something, I always work better with somebody. And it's taken me a long time to really like come to terms with that and accept that and find other people that are, that sort of work that same way. Do you know what I mean? And so, you know, it's taken me forever to find someone to write this one movie idea that I have, but I finally found the guy. And so now that's something that I do. Or right. developing this TV show that I'm working on and, you know, finding a buddy of mine who was so good. I said, hey, does this idea interest you? Haps a fucking Luli and we're off to the races, you know, coming up with creating a whole world. For, you know, all of those kinds of things. It's just finding the way that you the best way for you to operate, the best way to be creative and then just fucking go. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Don't sit there and go, well, we could, you know, you could spend a million hours talking about what's the best way to approach something or you can just try and do it. Just get something down and it doesn't matter if it's good. You know, you can throw it all away in a little bit, but maybe one idea then leads to another. That Well, that's it. Yeah. When I used to write music with my friend, Mike Furman, the way that we would write stuff is, um, and I really – I have to remember to do this more often. But when we were when we kind of had like the structure of the song, mm-hmm. we would go through and, and just put in – you know, even if it was a line that we didn't think was particularly funny or work, whatever we go, we always go, you know what? We'll put it in for now. We'll change it later. Yeah. Because it allowed us the opportunity to at least fill that space. Scrambled and eggs. O- yes. Yeah. And be open to the idea of changing it later rather than getting stuck in one place and – Judging, no, that's dumb. We got to fix. Oh no, we can't. Oh, we yeah. can't because it becomes a sticking point. So it's like, how do we move past that? Put something in there for now. Doesn't it? Doesn't have to be perfect, but at least it gets us. It just gets us past that point. We can yeah. go back later and edit. It's being open to changing it later. And that that to me is the thing that I always struggle with because so much of my time now is is spent trying to knowing that there's a certain way that I like to do things mm-hmm. right that fit my sort of my personality uh, whether it's like ADD or being super functional or needing it to be clean or being it, it being okay if it's messy but I know where everything is like yeah. trying to find the the most productive way to be able to work with my limited skills uh, or <laughs> limited personality traits and ha- match that with someone else mm-hmm. and find a way to be able to be a summation to a greater part. Do you right. know what I mean? And so much of any sort of creative endeavor with someone else is knowing what kind of person you, you are and what kind of person you're working with and finding the best ways to be able to uh, uh, alleviate problems or, you know, basically trying to find that best way to work together so that you're productive. Because a lot of times 
if you're super like ADD focused and everything needs to be crisp and, and perfect, well, you're not going to want to put scrambled eggs into the song lyrics for uh, for yesterday. Do right. You know what I mean? Right. Like you're you, because you're 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 the way you operate is no, it has to be A, B, C, D, and there's no there's well, no you other lose, version. You, and that. you lose sight of the bigger picture. Like if you're just focusing on a blade of grass. On your lawn, your yeah. house could be falling down and you're not paying attention because you're just yeah. focused on one tiny thing. So it's finding that balance between how do we honor the details but honor the big picture. And I think you just have to keep going back and forth. Like work on a detail, step back. Work on a detail, step back. It's absolutely going back and forth and finding ways to do it. And, and like so for me, like – one of the super weird things that I found is uh, like OCD coloring books <laughs> or even just graph paper and like making designs out of graph paper. Mm-hmm. I get such a joy out of being able to do that and very specifically – and it's ironic because normally my thing is don't color in the line. Like don't worry about the lines. Just go do something. Just get it out there. doesn't matter if it's right or wrong. But when I'm doing that shit – Stay in those lines. Right. Do it just right. Focus super hard. You know, if you want to spend, you know, an extra 20 seconds making sure that square looks perfect, do it. You know, but that's where that's when I choose to that's how I choose to spend that kind of energy. Right. And by doing that, then I can play a little bit more loose with all of the other stuff and not feel the need to control so much. Well, but the other thing, too, is that, you know, being able to say, like, well, I'm just going to put this thing in for now and I'm open to editing it later, you may not be ready to polish that thing yet because something else later on will contextualize that in a way that, oh, this actually makes sense. I've been doing a lot of weirdly music in my stand-up mm-hmm. and I'm a terrible guitar player, but I've been doing it anyway. And it's been so fun because finding the finding the stuff, you're like changing lyrics every mm-hmm. night, changing jokes, adding stuff. Oh, that didn't work. Yeah. So I'm going to work on this part. Oh, now that I've done this part, that makes this other part make so much more sense. And being able to do that, it's just, it's so much fun creatively yeah. that, but I think we just have this idea that everyone, just to reference Mozart again, has to be like fucking Mozart, where you're just dictating a finished product. And it's got to be from perfect the heavens. right it's out of the be, It's like, it can't be. no. It can't be. Like, it, the, the minority of times that might be the case. You might get lucky and, oh, this I just spat this fully formed thing out. But in general, the, 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 the craft is the whittling. Like, that's the fun part yeah. is finding what works, what doesn't work, making it work. And then, because then by the time you get to the end of it, You've taken a journey with it, and you've really earned that thing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, for you, sure. You oh, absolutely. And in a, in a strange way, this is where I think kids really sort of drove this home for me because there's this thing that happens. If I'm away from my family for, let's say, more than like a week, two weeks, when I come home, uh, I'm a gear behind. Mm-hmm. I, I'm in a slower gear, and it takes me – a couple of days to reacclimate to life inside that house in terms of the speed of the kids' demands, what they need, what needs to be done. Like you're just a little bit slower because when you're by yourself, it's just like, oh, <laughs> this is so nice. Oh my god, I can just sit here. Yeah, it's just so nice to be able to do that. But you know, um, but it's you know, when you're gone, it's still going. It, all of that is still going, and so. It's that idea of knowing when to relax and when you can calm, you know, when you can be calm and when when to spend that specific energies that you have. 
And then when you hop back into the, you know, the, 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 when you hop back into the ring with the kids, so to speak, you're like, I got to get back in fighting shape as quick as I can, because that's how that, you know, it's a little bit looser. And those, that little transition is always hard because you're like, huh, yes, I know we got to go put your shoes on. <laughs> like you're upset that it's taking so long for the shoes to be put on. Whereas if you've been in the grind for three weeks, it's not, ah, put your shoes on. It's like, just put your shoes on, please. And, Come on. We gotta go. And you just know you're going to have to say it five times. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? As opposed to getting pissed after, you know, I've, I already said, that don't make me say this a second time. Why would I have yeah. to say this a fifth time? Yeah, exactly. Well, and it's also like what I have to learn how to deal with is just not being anxious all the time of like, I'm going to get a phone call. A kid fell down. Oh, my God. Something, you know, like, it's just... All that stuff happens, man. And, but it, then you just realize, happens. like, that oh, all works out okay it, it for all, the most it part. All, yeah, it all happens. And there, there's really no way to uh, to go about it. I mean, uh, last story about the kids, and, and, then, and, and then we can move on to much more interesting subjects. But um, I remember right before my eldest was born... Uh, I asked a buddy of mine, he was one of the few people that, it, uh, that I knew that had kids. And I said, so like, what's it like? Is it, it's really hard, isn't it? He goes, yeah, it's, it's really hard. I go, but like, but like, what's that like? Like what, what's the level of tired? Like I was asking him basically to sort of describe how brutal it is to, you know, be up all night and dealing with the kids and the fear and all that sort of stuff. He says, it's really hard. It's really hard. So like, there's no other way I just describe it. It's just really hard. I called him after three weeks and I called him up. I said, you fucker, you undersold this thing like a car salesman. I want to take you to court right now. It's really hard. Dude, that didn't describe this at all. And he goes, yeah, but how can you describe that? You don't know until you do it. And that sounds really intimidating. I don't mean to intimidate no, you. No, no, it's okay. But that is a thing where once you go through it, you go like an 18 hour day at work. Fuck. Bring it on. Right. That's easy. Like it is – it focuses you in ways that you you are not even aware it's like of. like fight training. Yeah. You you don't even know that you're able to to do what you can do. It gets you in amazing shape for everything else. Yeah. And, and, and it's like that in all of these different ways in your life that you just you, – you, you, you just don't – you're not aware of. Do you know what I mean? It's like putting on glasses and all of a sudden you're seeing obey signs everywhere. Like it's just this thing <laughs> – <laughs> where you just go, oh, all of these things that I took for granted, all of these things that I just never paid any attention to, I'm now sort of more aware of. Do you know what I mean? I'm going to – someday I'm going to call you and just for fun after after you have kids, I'm going to go, this isn't so hard. And, I'm gonna, <laughs> and then I'm going to hang up and then I'm going to cry because I was lying. <laughs> <laughs> Tough but fair. I'll take it. Tough well, this isn't so hard. What are you talking about? The kid just threw up a good. Hey, I'm on the phone. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It's pretty calm over here. I know, it's hear, pretty easy. Just hear stuff breaking in the background. Not a yeah, it's not a problem. Screaming babies. Yeah, I don't know. But um, I'm very happy for you. So is is it? I would imagine it's hankskerchiefs.com. Yeah, Hank. Yeah, the best way to describe it is just hankskerchiefs.com. We got, um, I think we got about 18 different designs right now, and we've got uh, plenty more coming up throughout the course of the uh, the year. So, uh, I uh, really long for the day when I see the uh, 
Colin Hanks uh, sells Hanks-kerchiefs for $200 million. Like that sort of like George Clooney tequila company <laughs> I, story. I, I, Just because <laughs> like the idea of like that you could turn a ker- – it's like king of kerchiefs. When uh, Literally, when I came up with the – like the moment of inspiration I came up with the idea, I texted my wife and I, the, the text I, I, came, I sent her was – Hey, babe, I think I found a way for us to come into some money. <laughs> and she said, she, she texted back, she goes, what? And I just went, kerchiefs. <laughs> and she goes, pay attention to the baseball game. Because I was at a baseball game when I came up with the So stop texting me, pay attention, watch the baseball if game. You have that, if, 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 you, if you have that text exchange, yeah. you should just screen grab it and put it on the website. <laughs> In the about section, <laughs> I, I will actually try and find that. I will that's, definitely that's try. That's pretty and find funny. That. I, I know the exact day, so I can I can definitely find that's that. That's pretty funny. I think people would enjoy. It would that. be cool. But yeah, I mean, it, it's been so much fun. And uh, like I said, we got a bunch of designs. We just released a bunch of actual proper hand kerchiefs that are ten by ten. Okay. So those are much better for like suit uh, suit you know people who wear suits or pocket squares or if you're on the Titanic waving <laughs> waving goodbye. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's unsinkable, so it's not, you know, it's going to be fine. Yeah, there's 10,000 heads of lettuce on that boat. It's going to be fine. Did you see that there was a shot? Maybe I saw this on Reddit, but it was someone had put, like, photoshopped the Titanic in front of, like, a modern-day cruise liner, and it's hilarious. <laughs> the Titanic looks like a tugboat. It looks like, yeah, oh, God, I'm the, sure. Like, the, these fucking floating malls oh, that man. now, you know, oh. but it was just like this, the, the Titanic was... Tiny, tiny it's tannic. Tiny little, tiny little tannic. A teeny, yeah, there it is. There it is. There it is. Tan- There's oh, a my God. <laughs> it's like you have no concept. Oh, wow. <laughs> Where did you find that? Teeny. See, and now yeah. I would like to just point out that I'm so glad at the, I'm assuming we're, we're wrapping up. Yeah. I'm so glad at the very end we were still able to get in a Google search on a podcast. <laughs> yes. Because I'm a firm believer in every podcast. At some point, somebody's got to Google, Google something. something. Again, you know, like completely going against all of the things that we talked about, about d- being disposable, about being inundated with information. We are not only making a thing to distract you from other things. Yes. But then also uh, consuming media online to yep. get information that is very disposable that we're going to forget about. But what was so impressive? You didn't even have to say, hey, Google that. Yeah. Which a lot of people do. Right. You guys are professionals. She just did <laughs> it. She knew exactly she what knew exact, She knew the score. Right, she knew right what away. was going on. Well, but and seriously, I think we need to like really tell people at all – like. When you have the chance, you, you need should, to Google you this. You need to Google this <laughs> it's because it's I mean, you heard my response. <laughs> yeah. In my head, I'm like, oh, that'd be interesting. You show me that. I'm like, holy <laughs> shit. I mean, it's, it's, it's tiny. <laughs> what is that little book about the tugboat that could, yeah, whatever? Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. that's that. Yeah. Yeah. It's, the Titanic. Yeah. yeah. Oh, my goodness. Of course that thing went down. Of course <laughs> it went down. It was a. Yeah, that's. Oh my god! <laughs> yeah, it's not even the same. That is. Oh, they're come not even on. in the same league. No, not at all. They're not even in the same league. It's oh. sort of like, you know, it's sort of like if you see uh, a football player from like 1937. That's not a professional athlete. <laughs> no, this is a guy with a curly Q mustache who's a little meaty. That guy was just a fat milkman. That's all he was. 
I'm assuming he was. Yeah, he's a milkman. They, they had those back he's then. He's a milkman who can take a punch. They had, that's yeah, all it is. They didn't. Yeah. They didn't train. Good to have on your side in a bar fight. Yeah, that's that's it. The saw sawdust bar somewhere where there are peanut shells. Everywhere. I mean, yeah, you, yes, you could uh, you could break a chair over him and he'd brush it off. But he's not. Uh, he'd be a great henchman. He's a great henchman, but he's not like a sculpted athlete. No, like no, no, today. no, no. He's going to be the guy that gets taken out very early on in the raid. <laughs> but I do want to say that uh, after all these years it is delightful to me that we're still friends yes. and I constantly enjoy oh. everything that, that you do and I loved your Paris pictures too oh thanks man I appreciate that dude yeah no I love again I love that all these years later I'm, we're still able to whenever I see you it's like ah oh, Chris hey Colin, hey, how are you, are you doing? Buddy? It's good to see what you. What are you doing? I'm so very happy for you. Well, thank you, my friend. It was thank good you. to see you. Hankskerchiefs.com. And uh, pick one up before they're gone. Yes, seriously. But pick one up before they're waving goodbye to you. <laughs> they're using themselves. Wave goodbye to someone else with them as opposed to the other way around. Yeah. Put, you know what? Maybe your tagline should be, Hankskerchiefs, put your smell in them. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, let me let me workshop that with sure. the rest of my team and see. Text that to your wife. Another idea <laughs> to make a Think lot I of found money. A way to come in some money, man. Put your smell in them. Put your smell in them. The end. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code AUDIO to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code AUDIO at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code AUDIO. You've just listened to the ID10T podcast number 1002. Now it's time for some word salad wrap, which is normally motivational, inspirational, poking at you to... Give yourself a break and go make stuff that makes you happy. Stop looking for external validation and focus on what's in you already, in your in your soul, in your gut, in your heart. Um, but this is a this is going to be a different one. And if you are not a hardcore Disneyland nerd, then I'm just giving you the trapdoor right now. You don't have to listen to this because. Uh, I thought this would be kind of a fun thing for any Disney nerds out there to hear because we went, Lydia and I were in Italy for a couple of weeks and then we were going to end our trip in the UK and I said, hey, why don't we just pop over to Paris on the way to the UK and go to Disneyland Paris? Now I know it's kind of silly to think, well, of all the things you could see in Paris, what an amazing city for culture and architecture and history. Um, but uh, yeah, we just went to go to Disneyland. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Uh uh, Paris uh, lovers that that's why we went there Paris is an amazing city and uh, I love it but we just had like a day <laughs> and so we went to Disneyland Paris and I just want to uh, briefly talk about the just for anyone who's never been because here's the thing with with all the Disneylands each park is like stepping into a parallel dimension where you recognize things from the park that you usually go to there are elements but they're expressed in different ways rides are different um but have some of the same elements and so it really is very surreal 
and it feels like you've uh, stepped into some kind of parallel universe. And um, my favorite attraction is the Haunted Mansion. I love all of them. The Haunted Mansion, for whatever reason, just resonates with me. I love it. I love the Anaheim Park. I love the Nightmare Before Christmas overlay. Uh, I think it works. It's my favorite integration. Uh, it adds to the it adds to the attraction and doesn't like get in the way of it. If that makes any sense. And so the thing with Haunted Mansions is that all the Disneyland's are uh, different. They all have different haunted mansions and different stories and different architectures, uh, and there's different uh, mythos around them. And so, I mean, obviously, I'm always going to be partial to the OG Disneyland that was built in uh, the the haunted mansion at this at, in Anaheim was built in 1969, and uh, you know, I have a an original um, stretch portrait painting. And I'm obsessed with, I'm obsessed with uh, Haunted Mansion. I just love everything about it. Lydia loves it too. I could bore the shit out of you with trivia about it, as I'm probably doing right now. So, um, but original Haunted Mansion is amazing. And I gotta say, I really love Walt Disney World Haunted Mansion. It's a totally different style. Um, but the doom buggy track is longer. And there's this really great Escher staircase in the beginning. And it just... It feels really nice. I got to say, I'm not snobby about it at all. And also outside the Walt Disney World Haunted Mansion, there's a little graveyard there. And they um, they had taken Mr. Toad's Wild Ride out of uh, Walt Disney World. I don't know why someone would do such a monstrous thing, but they did. And so they put um, like a headstone. They, they put stuff from Mr. Toad's in the graveyard there uh, to honor Mr. Toad's at Walt Disney World uh, Haunted Mansion. So... On our honeymoon, Lydia and I went to Disneyland Tokyo, which is actually the only park that's not owned by Disney. It's licensed by another company. Anyway, there are two Disney parks in Tokyo. One of them is Disneyland, regular Disneyland Tokyo, and the other one's called Disney Sea. We only had like a half a day because we were touring around Japan so much. So we just went to the regular park because I really wanted to go to Haunted Mansion. Now, this is August of 2016. For whatever reason, they'd shut it down. <laughs> to set it up for Halloween in August. Come on. Um, might have been first week of September. Still! Um, anyway, we so we didn't get to see the Haunted Mansion there, so I don't know what the story with the Tokyo Disney one is. Um, Paris we went to, and it is fucking great. It's called Phantom Manor, and they just updated it. And so this is just a little bit of a walkthrough for hardcore Disney nerds. And again, it's really just whatever your personal preference is. So at Disneyland Paris, um, the Phantom Manor is actually next to Big Thunder Mountain, which is the the old Wild West Railroad roller coaster. And what they've done at Disneyland Paris is that because Phantom Manor is right next to um, uh, Big Thunder, they've connected the two uh, with a story which is a, cr- a crazy idea, and it totally works. So Phantom Manor is kind of up on a hill, and it overlooks Big Thunder Mountain, which uh, Big Thunder Mountain, by the way, a lot of the rides at Disneyland Paris, for whatever reason, I, I don't know if it's a French thing or a European thing or whatever, but they love to s- send you into complete pitch black darkness on their roller coasters. Um, Space Mountain, it's like the one here in, in Anaheim is dark, but it's like it gets pitch black, the roller coaster um, at, uh, at Space Mountain over there. Also, they have another ride that's based on the tortoises from Finding Nemo, which is really fun. And it 
plunges you into pitch black darkness. Um, and so uh, um, they uh, have connected the two stories because Big Thunder Mountain was there. The story is that it was owned by um, a man named uh, Henry Ravenswood. And he has become really wealthy from the mining operation at Big Thunder. Now, the indigenous peoples there had warned him, there's a spirit down there. Don't screw with this. He's like, I don't care uh, because I'm a robber baron and it's <laughs> and it's the Industrial Revolution. Uh, so I don't care what you say. And so he basically overmines it and I guess um, uh, incurs the wrath of an evil spirit. Now, his daughter, Melanie Ravenswood, he doesn't want her to get married. And so the story is that she has a lot of suitors that just um, mysteriously disappear. And finally, she meets a train conductor named Jake that she's in love with. And so, uh, but he... uh, there is a terrible earthquake that um, that killed, I believe, the father and his wife. And so she's going to get married uh, on the day. And the Phantom, which is actually her dead father, uh, he's the Phantom in the ride, appears, lures the fiancé upstairs, hangs him in the attic. Uh, he never shows up for the wedding. She mourns forever. And so it's it's so beautifully, the story is so tragically beautiful and the voice is in English and in French and they get this sort of like, um, kind of like uh, uh, Vincent Pricey kind of voice to do it and it completely works. Um, and if you know the story behind Disneyland Anaheim, it's basically a Black Widow situation uh, where this uh, the the lady. When you get to the attic, you see there's uh, a woman who said there's all the, she's in all these portraits with all these husbands that mysteriously disappear, and her name is Constance Hatchaway. So it's totally different. Um, our story is about uh, a Black Widow type bride and who kills his husbands and takes their money. And oh, this is the other fucking amazing thing. Am I talking too fast? Well, I'm sorry. Um, in the stretch portrait room of Anaheim, you see, and this is actually the stretching portrait that I have, you see an old woman sitting on a, 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 a headstone that has a hatchet in it that says George, beloved George. And that's Constance Hatchaway as an old lady. So, and you, then George is actually in the attic when you're going through on the doom buggy. He's one of the people in there. So anyway... Um, it's just a totally different experience. And the end of Disneyland Paris, Phantom Manor, because it's connected to Big Thunder Mountain, is not the cemetery. It is, in fact, this whole Old West town that's um, tied to Big Thunder Mountain. So it's just so much fun. And I love it so much. And I love the care and the detail. Um, I have to just mildly call out the cast members at Disneyland Paris for one minor story correction if I could push up my glasses on my nose for a moment. But uh, if you know the ride, you know that there are a series of busts that have these facial projections on them that are singing the song Grim Grinning Ghosts. And um, and so one of the cast members said, oh, did you see Walt in the ride? He's at the end of the the busts with the projection. And I was like, uh, um, actually, I became um, actually guy. Um, actually... 
Um, that's uh, Thurl Ravenscroft, and Thurl um, is the really deep voice when the crypto creep and the crypto. He was also the voice of Tony the Tiger, and he was also um, he's been in a, a million things. He was just a very famous bassy voiced guy that is really just such a legendary fixture of Disney lore and and story. And uh, he kind of looks like Walt a little bit and projected onto the thing. He's got the mustache and he's got the thing. But I was like, let's throw Ravenscroft. And they didn't believe me. So I actually pulled up a video, uh, an old video of like the making of Haunted Mansion that I think was narrated by uh, Mr. Kurt Russell. Um, and it shows him like recording the thing. So it's just a little bit. I still don't think they believe me. Anyway, if you get the opportunity and you're in Paris for a couple days, go to Disneyland Paris. It's super fun. There's two parks. There's the main park and then the 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 movie studio park, which is essentially the the analogous park to California Adventure. And uh, while you're there, the, we ate at Walt's restaurant, which was really fun. Uh, it's Victorian inside, and it sort of takes you through like a lot of the things that from from Walt's life. The food is amazing. Um, if you're looking for more of a fun experience, the Ratatouille ride. Um, there's actually a restaurant, uh, Chez Remy, and when you go inside, everything is big because you're like the size of uh, the rat. So uh, I don't know. I highly recommend it. This will probably not be the last time I talk about Disneyland stuff. I just thought this would be a fun word salad wrap. I've gone on a really long time, and none of this probably makes any sense, but uh, I just fucking love it so much. And um, and pst, I think I'm going to go check out um, – galaxy's edge at the new star wars attraction at disneyland very soon so i will report back about that maybe i'll just be the sort of unofficial hey here's what's going on at disneyland because it really is one of my favorite places in the entire universe um that's it i hope you have a great day night evening middle of the night whatever um i appreciate you and i will see you in your ears in a couple more days is this podcast, is this word salad rap actually stretching? Or is it your imagination? No, it's me. I'm talking too long. All right. Mm, goodbye. And a ghost will follow you home. <laughs> ID 10T scanning complete. Enjoy your burrito. For more than two centuries, the White House has been the stage for some of the most dramatic scenes in American history. Inspired by the hit podcast American History Tellers, Wondery and William Morrow present the new book, The Hidden History of the White House. Each chapter will bring you inside the fierce power struggles, the world-altering decisions, and shocking scandals that have shaped our nation. You'll be there when the very foundations of the White House are laid in 1792, and you'll watch as the British burn it down in 1814. Then you'll hear the intimate conversations between FDR and Winston Churchill as they make plans to defeat Nazi forces in 1941. And you'll be in the Situation Room when President Barack Obama approves the raid to bring down the most infamous terrorist in American history. Pre-order The Hidden History of the White House now in hardcover or digital editions wherever you get your books.